What's up, everybody? Welcome to Finding Demo Surfishing Podcast. This week, we're going to do it a little bit different. As you can see, you can see me, and if you're listening to this, this is actually a video recording, so you'll be able to go back and watch and see all this stuff. We're going to be talking uh, in Texas this week. We're going to Breakaway Tackle, talking with Nick Meyer. Lots of good stuff going to come out of this episode. This episode is sponsored by the Kids Can Fish Foundation. Head on over to kidscanfish.net and take a look at all the cool things that they're doing for the kids in this whole well, in Georgia for now, but hopefully one day nationally. But they set up a bunch of these camps for these kids, help them get out there to learn to fish and throw cast nets, a bunch of really good stuff that happens over there in Georgia. Again, kidscanfish.net, really happy, always fun to have conversations with them. We did a podcast, so you can really learn all about the stuff that they do. Like they like to say, more tackle boxes, less Xboxes. That's good stuff. So you're listening to Finding Demo Surf Fishing. Here we go. What is up, everybody? I am really glad you're here. I'm hoping you're having a great day wherever you are doing whatever the things you're doing. I really hope you're out fishing listening to this because that's even better. Or you can watch it while you're sitting there. There's going to be a lot of cool stuff. So like I said, we're heading to Texas this week, and we are talking with Breakaway Tackle's Nick Meyer. You're going to be able to take a look at them at breakawaytackleusa.com. Lots of cool stuff on there and a brick-and-mortar shop. So this is a lot of really... Uh, a fun add to the Finding Demo Surf Fishing podcast. If you've heard, we've only had a couple episodes out of Texas, uh, and especially talking about Corpus Christi area. Uh, this is going to really help with that. It sounds like a hell of an amazing fishery as it is, but we're really going to get into the nitty gritty here because Nick does a lot of the fishing there, and he also is big head in the community there. He's one of the leaders, so a lot of people talk to him too about fishing. So lots of cool stuff. Um, it's going to be weird on the video because you're all going to see me, and I'm not used to that unless you're watching the Friday night thing, but uh, it's going to be all good. So as I uh, flap my jibs here constantly, let's get this thing over with and uh, bring on our guest because you're here to hear him, not me. Let's welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you, sir, for coming on. I appreciate you, man. My my pleasure, Brian. It's great that we can communicate so easily. Yeah. fishermen that we can now i mean all we <laughs> do, i mean this internet really could save the day <clears throat> i was looking at uh how originally in florida there was a uh a board run by a gentleman named galgi and it was that was the most active surf fishing web web board maybe 30 years ago and the, the guy actually died um maybe early 2000s but it was a very active Florida surf fishing, I think it was called. And I don't know what happened to it or I don't know what, but initially that was a really big um, influencer, if you like. And uh, I used to go to Destin and I would do shows, seminars for the Florida Sportsman magazine. And uh, I'd work with Half Hitch Tackle in Destin and they were a great company. And, I did that maybe for eight or nine years. So I experienced your beautiful beaches and your fishing just like I do here. It's funny you bring up half itch. <laughs> Tom. Yep, yeah, yeah. Good people, mate. Real good people. Love them the bits. 
I've only had one quick interaction with Tom. I end up spending a little bit more interactions with Tim. I get to see him a little bit more. He's a real smart dude. Always looked after us when we went down there. No. Well, without uh, slowing you down here, let's go ahead and get you right into your podcast questions because this is this is where we're going to go. And uh, I think you've your your name has been mentioned to me before, so I know you're very knowledgeable in all these pieces, and you've been there for a bit. And you also just mentioned it too. We're working with seminars with Florida sportsmen and these pieces, but let's back it up into the beginning. Tell us your story and what got you into fishing. What got me into fishing? I grew up uh, on in a place called Felix, though, which is right on the North Sea. So I've been an edge person all my life. I used to skip school and go and work on the fishing boats with Dougie Goodall, and I'd collect deck chairs or do anything I could to miss school. Here's a funny story. This is true. When we were young, there was a thing called ringworm come out, right? Oh, no. And they used to get us kids and put us under a lamp, and, and it would show up if you had it. Well, if you had it, you didn't go to school, all right? So there was one kid had it. Me and my brother asked if we could rub heads with him. <laughs> So that gave us six months of beach life. It was awesome. <laughs> oh no! How how long did it take for mom to mom to pick up on that one? Well, she knew. I mean, she found out because what would happen is you'd go to the school and you had to attend once a week, and they'd put you under a blue light, and they'd say Nick's getting better. And then what? The minute I was left, I like, Tim, come here. And <laughs> it was that's a true story. So my sole objective, my summers were spent on the beaches. I was totally dyslexic. No, they didn't even notice it. And my winters were spent walking my dogs in the field. That's when I was happy as a kid. But I fished hard. Really, I had windsurfing schools in, in Suffolk. I was an advanced windsurfing instructor and a yacht master by the time I was about 25. And we had the first North Sea windsurfing school. And I used to use the rescue boats to go fishing at night. <laughs> and I had uh, inflatables and I'd run long lines from them. And the, uh, we'd go out and I'd run my long lines and my trammel nets and I'd pull them all in. And all the old ladies would be waiting for me on the beach in the morning to buy fish. It was really a good life. So I've Sounds been like a long it. time. So, okay, <clears throat> starting in the North Sea and, and then you, you moved down here. So you ended up in Texas. Let me tell you a bit or, or more. What was the next step from that area to here? Okay, well, in that area in Ipswich, which is just up the road, there was a good mate of mine who was running a tackle company called Breakaway Tackle. They invented the rotating wire sinker, which was called the Sputnik, which then many people copied. Everything we do, people copy us. It's, and people say it's a compliment. No, it's not. It pisses me off. But there's nothing you can do about it. All right, you can go around suing people, but it's a waste of time. So any, so in that town or just close was a gentleman named Nigel Forrest who was a world champion long caster and developed the pendulum cast. He was also a great engineer, all right? And uh, so I was very much aware of long casting. And a mate of mine that was at school with, Roger Mornimer, become a world champion. and. I started to want to get into it, this long casting. And uh, no one would teach you anything. 
in them days it was like keep everything quiet you know keep it under the so i used to teach myself and it meant my house was actually on the beach but it was three stories up and you had to walk so i'd come down do a cast blow up cut the line off that was all in a hell of a mess walk all the way up reline come all the way back down and try another one and so it went like that anyhow this went on for a few years then one day i thought i said to my mate uh nigel and norman that i would like to take uh get a license from them to market in the americas the breakaway products i'd been to the new jersey area and i could see how they fish was totally different from what we did they didn't use up tiding techniques um and they were using pyramid sinkers and no clip down rigs stuff like that so i studied at that time you could go on to uh the american embassy and it would show you details about market share market size and things like that so when when i decided okay i'm gonna go to america and sell this stuff i knew exactly how big the market was I knew what our potential was prior to coming. So I arrived in New Jersey and there was a gentleman there named Frank's Tackle, sort of Italian guy, lovely guy. Uh, he fell in love with our rod tip lights, okay? And uh, he started buying quite a load of us and he also was interested in the sinker with the rotating wires. So that was my first uh company was frank's tackle in new jersey great guy don't know if he's still around a long time ago i then decided to go to vegas they were having a a, a show there icast show and it was the first time that spider wire had arrived on the scene and as you walked in there was a big spider hanging from the scene and a big mechanical spider and the one braid wrapping machine doing its thing all right they sold that company that day as i was walking around i saw the copy of my sinker and it was in them days it had a red bead on it and the beads were always breaking but it was our design and there was a gentleman named dick henry who owned that company and it was called henry's tackle but they were being made in florida henry's were buying them and they were selling them. he was involved in it Anyhow, Dick Henry, I walked up to him and said, that's a copy of our sinker. He was a lovely guy, mate, bright, real successful, and always looked after me from that point on. Like he said, I'm going to get you an appointment at Henry's, and he did. So it was from there we were able to get in all the tackle shops. Henry's are, I would still say, the biggest uh, wholesaler to independent retailers. All right? And they produce a catalog that's about that thick every year. And uh, they've been there for years, but that was all built up by Dick Henry. And he actually guided me initially into the business. And that's when I started, I looked at America and someone said to me, the fishing is awesome in Corpus Christi. And I thought, you know, if you look at the outside of America, that's pretty much in the middle. I'll go there. So I did. So I went, I came here, I brought a motel, which I hated. I, I found out I didn't like people. <laughs> so it was, um, <laughs> well, I had a hotel 
and people would turn up at three o'clock in the morning drunk and oh, it was just a nightmare. Anyhow, my first wife left me over that hotel. She was not interested in that game. And so anyhow, we got separated and then I married a, a beautiful American girl and now I'm an American. So that's my story of how I got here. Nice. Mm-hmm. I love the idea. I love that, man. That's that's quite the transition too. I mean, staying in the fishing industry, rolling from <clears throat> one style of fishing into here where it's very similar, but you know, minute differences I've learned, but that's really, that's so cool. You started out like that and now here you are and down in Texas and you basically built it from there. That's really, that that's a lot. Great job, sir. You will never believe I, I look back at, what I did, and I don't know why I, it takes so much balls to just jump in a car, go to a different country, and say you're going to start a new life. You'll never believe the pressure it puts on you. I remember I used to go out cleaning windows in the morning because it was the only thing I could do because then I didn't have a green card or anything. Um, I'd go and clean windows till 11 o'clock, and that would raise some cash that I could live on. But that's basically the story. That's the truth. Wow. There is, now, my life has always been based around the sea, okay? So as soon as I left school, I got a job as a motor mechanic, which lasted about three months. I was totally useless at it. And a mate of mine said, there's these radio pirate ships out in the North Sea, and they were looking for stewards, all right? Well, I'd done, never done it. I was 15 years old. So I went and got a job as a steward. And they thought, as a steward, I would be better off as a deckhand. <laughs> so <laughs> I then become a deckhand on the radio pirate ships, which I made a film of. And uh, so I was on them for about a year. Then I went on, I joined uh, the Fisher Company, which was... Uh, they called them rock dodgers in them days. We would pick up shipments and take them to Belgium and Holland and stuff like that. And it was a small boat, but I put my age up to 18 so that I could get men's pay. But the trouble was, you ain't a man at 50. It's a total different ball game. And they must have thought I was backward or something. <laughs> I can remember the boatswain taking me down in the hole one night and he's saying look if you don't put your finger out i'm gonna kick your ass <laughs> right and there was these hatch boards and they would be a board that had to be at least six foot long it's about two inches thick which they put stuff on well everything was mechanical so i'd put the hatch boards on and then off and then i had to get up at midnight do a two-hour watch you'd stand at the wheel you weren't allowed to sit down and I just wasn't ready. But anyhow, I did. It helped me get stronger. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah, I can imagine right there. <laughs> For sure, working with that. Well, so you've started out in a young age fishing. You've done a lot of great stuff. And now here you are in Texas. What type of fishing do you like to do now? I really, my my joy is surf fishing. And unfortunately, in America, the Surf fishermen's beaches are under attack by the federal government. You don't for one minute think that we're not in a major fight to protect our beaches. We lived in a great time from the 60s up to now, I think has been the best time in history. I couldn't think of a better time to be born. 
And as a fisherman, when we used to have hatteras, I used to go up and compete at hatteras in tournaments and okra coke, awesome places. And they've all been isolated off by the feds now. They're all small beaches. They're protecting plovers and things like that. So I think that our rights have been abused. And I think that these programs that are in place, yeah, I appreciate, I'm a bird watcher, a fanatic, all right? But I don't think, I think you can, the two can go side by side, all right? We're under attack down here now, and it's another issue we're going to get into. But I've enjoyed fishing from New Jersey or from Boston, Massachusetts, fishing the canal and things like that. I've done it all up there. It's been great. I've been around here and done it all the way down here and thoroughly had a good time. And I love fishing in America beaches. That's my life. I love it. There's, I, I dare say this, and I know it's going to be unpopular. There's nothing quite like surf fishing and how just it's so great. And with the country being so much beachfront, there is nothing but available opportunities provided you can get there. But surf fishing is it's it's glorious, it's wonderful, it's so many great words. I run that beach, and I mean, I do daily beach reports on YouTube, and it's called Texas Beach Reports. Uh, that's youtube.com forward slash nickaway. So I go out there as the sun rises every day and I do it for the people, but it's an addiction to myself to sit and watch the sun come up and do that beach report is just a wonderful thing. Now I get lots of in the bays here. You've got amazing fisheries in the bays behind the island, but People are going, man, you ought to go down so and so. They're catching a ton of reds down there. I'm not interested. I'd rather be 30 miles down that national seashore catching nothing. <laughs> I really would. It's not about, it's not all about catching fish, as I'm concerned. It's about where you're catching them and how I'm doing it. Nice. Good points. Yeah, the national seashores are definitely wonderful. And we are going to talk more about that. I know that's something we definitely want to harp on. Uh, so, you kind of nailed this question, but I'll ask anyway. What's your favorite thing about fishing? Favorite thing about fishing? Well, fishing in the ocean, you never know really what you're going to get into. There's always that. And we'll have like uh, major jackfish runs come through and big sharks and things. But I target my target is mainly up to, I don't know, 40 inch, 50 inch fish. That's all I'm interested in, really. I like landing them. Jackfish, I love racing down the beach in front of them. I I see them coming in and the birds are working. My objective is to get in front of them because they move about 10 or 15 miles an hour either way. But I'll get in front of them and just launch it out and start pulling that plug in front of them. You know you're going to get them and you're in. But And it's just one of my favorite fisheries is chasing them jacks and stuff like that. I really do enjoy it. And I like doing it on small rods as well. I can take my wife fishing. I specialize in long casting and putting small baits where the fish are. Small baits where the fish are are far better than a big bit where they're not, you know. And so we're using clip-down rigs. Our pompano fishery here is on par with anywhere on earth. You go from October through to end of December, it's nothing to go and get 20 pomodoro in an hour. 
You know, they come in very heavy down here. And it makes it, it's an awesome fishery. That's one of the major growth fisheries we've got in this area has been the Pomino fishery. And it's nothing in the winter to go to that beach and you look along that beach and there'd be 50 people shooting for Pomino. It's really amazing. I'd wonder about the pomp down there because you, you, with the Gulf Coast, Pompano seem to be the quite, you know, everybody wants to target palms. Palms, yeah. Red Rum, those those seem to be the monster names that you always hear people talking about. And I'd wondered how your Pompano fishery was down in South Texas, especially along Padre. So you're the first one to tell me it's pretty good. No, it's the best. I guarantee you can go out with, I mean, you can use just like fish gum and you can, no problem. What, what, you know, I always look for coquina on the beach. They're a small clam or uh, a ghost shrimp. Uh, I'll be looking for them to identify potentially good spots where to fish. But as long as you – the best time to get them is on a clear day. I think the sun sunshine helps. You want to pick an area where there's coquina shell. And as long as the water's sort of around 70, doesn't go to that much, you'll be okay. you get them. You know, those coquina clam are a great indicator to uh, where to set up your lines, especially when they're concentrated. Same with us here in uh, Florida is the sand fleas. If you see a colony right there, cast out in front of that colony because they've been coming out from that one point out to the water, and that's where they're going to run across and get them. So very smart on targeting piece right there. You, you jumped ahead. <laughs> that's okay. No, it's perfect. Again, that's one thing I love about the podcast. It's a constant conversation, so you never know where they're going to go. Uh, next question for you here is, what is a bucket list fish that you wish to catch? Well, really, one of my greatest joys and the most exciting is when I go to El Salvador and chase roosters. I, I really enjoy that. And I don't know if you can see this, but when you get one, you get one of these. Oh, yeah, I think it's a requirement for a rooster, and that is absolutely a requirement. Right, so I I was very lucky, maybe 15 years ago, people were pretty scared to go to El Salvador. I, well, I had a guy who really was a keen fisherman, great fisherman, and he owned up a bit fishing tackle business down there, and he said he would set up for me to come down and give seminars. Well, I thought, what have I got to lose? You know, I'm going to go arrive at an airport and go to Hilton or something, and I'll be okay. So I flew down, and I took my rods down with me, and I did a seminar, and there was a lot of support. Like the mayor of the city opened the thing, and then the ex-president's son become a friend, and I was invited to their private island. So I used to fly in and go to this island and chase roosters, and it was the best fun. And then I started taking groups of people down. And that was going really well up until the COVID incident, which put a nail in that one. But I'm getting ready to start taking people down to that beautiful, beautiful country. El Salvador is so underrated. There's beautiful volcanoes, totally deserted beaches. They've got snook like that, which are awesome in the surf. And these giant roosters that come racing in and you bung a plug, a plug on them and you have to move it real quick, like that, and they're on it. But you need a spinning reel because the line, you need to gather in really quick. And uh, they go after them plugs and nail it. And it's great spin. That sounds like it. Well, this is a perfect opportunity here before we switch into the next one here. We're going to go ahead and knock into our first episode, Bay Check. 
it is your first bait check of the episode. So hopefully you bring that line in. You've caught a bunch of fish. That's the goal. Hopefully you have. If yeah. you have, change your bait. It may be a need. Who knows? Maybe you need to change a different one. Maybe you need to throw some shrimpies on there. Something. Something's got to give. This bait check is being brought to you by DS Custom Tackle. Head on over to dscustomtackle.com. Take a look at all the tackle supply pieces that they are putting out. They have the new flea bag and the fruit basket. Lots of cool floats for you all set up. If you need other kinds of pieces of tackle, they've got it in there. dscustomtackle.com. Get your order in today. So let's move into a couple of pieces when we, we've nailed into this with the old past so let's move into how you fish and you've got a lot of experience so a lot of this is probably going to be very uh, elementary rudimentary for you uh how do you plan your personal fishing trips well basically weather orientation our beach is so long it's 61 miles of beach the tide really um coming in or going out doesn't matter as long as you've got water movement so there's certain things I look for. On full moon, I don't bother to fish till after 11 o'clock in the day. Um, I always look for fronts moving through. I'm very much aware of that. Interesting thing, the old men, you need to listen to them who have fished the beaches for years. I always remember them saying, uh, when the wind is in the north, the bait moves out. And it does. It's the weirdest thing. It's like you can flick a switch. It's like they know. So that's another thing. I also look for bird action, which is which will tell you the tempo of the beach, the way the birds are working, the type of birds that are working will tell you what to look for. For example, if we look at our brown pelicans, we've got a lot of them here, how they feed, if you watch them, that'll tell you what they're eating. And for example, they will dive in from 30 foot, all right? And they will come up quick and they'll put their head back and then they're taken off again. All right. That's mullet. They're eating mullet. All right. When they dive in and hold their head down, all right, they're on anchovy, tiny little anchovy. And they fill that big beak up and they squeeze that water out and you'll see laughing gulls sitting on the head of the pelican. You'll know that's what they're eating is anchovy. Anchovies will attract certain fish. You know, your mackerels and things will come in around them. Your jackfish can. If them birds are moving quick, there's a good chance it's jackfish or false tuning. But it gives you an insight by watching the birds, all right? It tells you what's going on in the surf. That is a masterclass. No, I've, I knew about watching birds, but I never thought about the head down time, whether it, you know, for the anchovies mullet. I mean, it's got to be the same way, even whatever fishery you're in and watching the birds and how they do it, you'll know. Um, we, we have a little cheater here. I mean, we've got the osprey that'll come in and, you know, grab a 12 inch pompano and fly off laughing at you the whole time. And you're really angry about it. But um, yeah, with pelicans, I've never noticed that. I need to you know, probably need to start paying attention to how they're hitting and where they're hitting and eating. The whole thing is connected. I mean, certain birds will turn up when certain fish are going to start arriving. You know, like Franklin gulls, you'll see them moving north. Keep your eyes out for jackfish. You know, they're, they're following the trend up. Oh, it's, it's amazing. I want to do a book that shows you how what plants are growing will determine what birds are there, which will tell you what fish are around. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is connected. I believe it. And I would happily read that. But I think that's 
that's one of the cool things when you speak with people that have been fishing 30, 40 plus years, you guys start noticing these things. And this, you know, before the internet, there were ways to figure out how to catch, where to catch, what they're doing, how they're doing it. And you just basically said it right there. I mean, plants alone is a huge plant piece for you to use. So that's, that's some high level knowledge. Well, well, well done, sir. And well honed. Now that we've talked about that with those, this fits perfectly for you. So how do you select your spot to fish in? I think one of the main things I've promoted is the ability to read the water. Okay, I I used to race Hobie Cats uh, at the European level. I entered the European Championships and also windsurf, and I raced for Mistral and A1. I led the first crossing of the North Sea by windsurfer. I was in an inflatable 12-foot boat. And I led my mate from Belgium because I was able to navigate uh, from Belgium to Felix, though, across. It was a 100-mile crossing. We got stopped by the Belgium Navy halfway across. <laughs> they wanted to know what we were doing. <laughs> I told them the guy can't turn around. Um, <laughs> so, anyhow, we did that. But um, I'm trying to think where I was going with that question. What was the question again? Uh, selecting a spot. Okay. So I read a book by Eric Twinane, okay, The Art of Reading the Water. It was uh, and racing. So by positioning yourself either in the current, out of the current, it was, a, it was a skill I'd learned, and that's what put me up in the sport was I could spot an eddy or I could spot a suck out, and I would use it to my advantage when racing. So... The art of reading the water, to be able to look at a piece of water and say, there's the deep spot, you know, I know they're going to be there, or there's a suck out here. The sandbar comes along, blocks off here, and it goes out, right? Then fish know that, and they will be sitting just on the outside of it. So that ability, if you haven't got that ability to read the water, a couple of things you can do. Look for blue heron, right? He'll be standing on a point. And he will be standing there, and the water will be deep coming towards him. Then the point goes out. He's there because he knows fish are there. All right, He's going to be able to pick up bait. If he knows it, the fish know it as well. Do you know what I mean? So look for where a blue heron is sitting in the water. He's normally knee deep. You know that's more likely going to be a blocked first gut, breaking out into the second gut. It's a good spot to be. The other thing is take your grandma and your kids and they will always find the deepest hole. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they will. <laughs> They'll go swimming in it. <laughs> so mm. the ability to read the beach is vital. Now, I'll tell you an interesting thing that I've witnessed over the last three years. I think there's been a total current change. Now, we used to get the water would come through the point of Florida up and it would take two and a half years to go all the way around and back out. We used to have sargassum weed turn up on the beach, six foot deep for miles, real colossal, all right? And we also used to get red tides, really regular, okay? Maybe three in a run. There was definitely two back to back. Then all of a sudden, the weed started disappearing from our beach and it ended up on your beach, right? And so yeah. did the tide. So 
I think with no, there's been a current change. I don't think it's been recorded, but I know that what we were getting, you're now getting. Also, I watched them hurricanes come in, right, and they're headed tracking straight to Louisiana and to the east. So we, we're getting very different weather patterns at the moment. We had more cold fronts running through from uh, October through to December that practically destroyed our fall fishing, one after the other, boom, boom, boom. Now, I'm starting to find dead young pelicans on the beach, all right? So uh, uh, a friend of mine found five yesterday, and I found five last Sunday when I was down. That's all the way along a 60-mile beach. So I sat there, and I was trying to think what had caused it. Now, I watch a bird called the skimmer. Do you get skimmer? I'm sure you do. There are birds, they fly along with their beak in the water, picking up bait. They're called skimmers, very colour, and you'll see them flying along the first gut, and they're right on the water's end, their beak, their bottom beak is in the water. So it's like a knife. And by the way, when they hit something solid, that clicks back, and they have to click it back into place. But when they're learning to do their... Uh, feeding behind the adults you'll watch the young ones and they'll try doing it and they get it wrong and they do somersaults and everything same with young pelicans they can't boom they can't dive deep a good full-grown pelican when he's watching he'll come from 50 foot up and straight down beautiful the young pelican can't do that but his important time in the fall our mullet run comes right along the beach, millions of them. You can practically walk on them. If you throw a cast net, you will have 50 in the net, easy. So he's that's his feast time. He will get fat and he will build up enough. He's got plenty of muscle on him and well fed. And that takes him through the period where he can't reach deep because he's able to get them in close. We lost that last year. Last year, we lost our mullet run, all right? Everything went deep, and it was because of these cold fronts, one after the other, boom, boom, all the way from October all the way through into January. It was crazy. You might get a couple of days where it was warm, and then it would be back in this trend again. And I think that's why them birds are dead on the beach. And that brings up another point. I believe fishermen are an asset. They know what's going on in the water and we're able to share the knowledge of red tides, of stuff being killed off or changes that we should record. You definitely have your finger on the pulse down there and I didn't know that about the pelicans. That's really, really a lot of great stuff. And Being an avid bird watcher, I'm sure you have a, a lot more knowledge too that helps with that, especially with your studies of those. So that's... Yeah, and I agree. I think we've got a little bit of shift in things, right? Especially with those, and I mean, we've seen it. And especially with the last year, I mean, we had this past summer was the worst summer of fur fishing in the surf in this area. Our it was shut down. You had June grass, then you had sargassum, then you uh, then we had really strange jelly. There's a lot of strange things, and then on top of that, too, this year we've been catching strange fish from the beach. Um, this is the first time I've seen it. I've seen a post in our in our group on Panhandle Surf Fishing. The uh, <clears throat> a gentleman, or actually, it's been two or three different families now, have caught three groupers 
from the beach. I saw that. I saw did you? It. Yeah, I saw it online. Yeah, and it's insane. Did it's you like, get smooth skin puffers on the beach, Turner? Um, well, are you talking about the man of wars or are you talking about a different no, I'm talking about puffer fish? They're about that oh. big. No, I haven't seen any. Okay. We've never had that before. Two years ago, infested with them. All right. And they're they're like 1,200 times more toxic than cyanide. But, 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 right? They are awesome to eat. (laughs) (laughs) And they're so easy. They're called a rabbit fish on the East Coast. Oh, okay. Yeah, so easy to clean. As long as you don't touch the guts, you don't want nothing with any gut on it. All right, because there's a black bee in there that will that carries the poison. So I I did try eating them and it was really good. The way I did it, I prepared, I peeled the skin off, cleaned it, got a nice clean piece of meat, washed it, then asked the wife to eat it, and she loved it, and she was okay. So <laughs> you went with the wife first. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody that's listening to this with their wife right now is just a look over like, what you got the first bite. It's okay. We're just we're just working together. For better yeah. or for worse. I think actually now that you mentioned that, yes, the rabbit fish, I have seen those caught here. So I, I do we I don't think we didn't have any washing up, but I knew I know some were caught. Um and yeah, the the second person to tell me they're delicious, but dangerous. So. Oh, they really are. Yeah, and that, uh, we, when you've got a lot of that sardasso weed, that's a great trout fishery. But you've just got to move with it. You cannot hold in weed. So what you've got to do is uh, me and the wife, we work when it's really heavy here. Uh, I'll drop her off and I'll go 100 yards in front of her and leave the truck. Then I start with the current, start moving 100 yards along the beach. She'll get in the truck and take it. And we leapfrog up the beach, you get no end of trout and redfish under them. Weed beds is amazing. But you've got to have a lure that's weedless and you have to walk with it. Do not try and hold against weed. It's the biggest mistake you can make. I love fishing sargassum. I'll do that any day because, like you just said, you could throw weedless and be fine. It's that June grass, that gooey, you're done. Yeah. Very yep. Go go inshore or get in the kayak and get past it and fish that. Yeah, June grass is an absolute nightmare. Well, you talked about selecting a spot. Now let's move into gear and uh, and kind of some picks here for the areas. So now that you've selected it, what? Uh, how do you set your gear up? And what I mean by that is going to be what kind of rigs do you like to use when you're fishing? Marie, could you get me a double clip down rig and also? Hi, Marie. It's been fun talking with you on the phone. Hi. Part <laughs> one. Keeps everything in line. We all need that in our lives. We need somebody that's right. going to make sure we're on track. Away now. Basically, I'm just there to kick tires, but she's got it now. <laughs> I'll show you a rig, what we call clip-down rigs, and I'll show you how they work okay. and why we use them. Can you bring them off the rack, Marie, the ones that are hanging? Well, while Marie's doing that, let's talk about this. We'll, we'll talk about another piece here. Um, will be the, how do you, well, man, this is normally where I edit, but unfortunately, because we're on video, I don't know how to edit properly. So we're not going to. Uh, so when you're going to cast, when you're looking at a, uh, a spot, 
where do you select where you oh you want to talk about the rigs first okay we'll do that um so this is the kind of rig you want okay so this is what we call a super sinker most good retailers i have them this thing is called an imp right i invented this with the help of nigel forrest so i click my rig to that and as it hits the water it flips up and kicks a hook off hang on i keep going the wrong way so it does that could you come in and just hold that for me marie just hold that there okay so lift it up i want to get on this camera so you take your bait and you clip it here i keep going the wrong way can you see uh, just, it just back up a little there you go now you're good there you can see a lot of it so and as it hits the water it does that fires it off that stops the bait rotating during the cast and it'll increase your cast by up to 30 percent these rigs i clip together with as many as three and that allow i can put three baits at extreme distance extreme distance to me is 150 yards you're in all right now when we get the bigger fish let's go back a bit this is called a pulley same sinker system you put a big piece of bait on and it's like so all right so here's a chunk of meat when they hit the water that fires off all right when the fish picks up this does that so it's this that sets the hook for you because at extreme distance your strike is ineffective so you need to design rigs that self set so that's what i use that was actually that tackle setup right there was one of the first videos i saw of you and learned of your stuff was that actual setup right there good i'm glad you remembered it <laughs> oh i i remember because i was like that's so smart because you can throw and do the hook back that's really okay so that's your primary rig here's something that we brought out was this a fish finder here do you use them yeah oh absolutely okay ours is the only one where the strength of the swivel is what gives this integrity because it goes through the eye of the swivel and the plastic all right so there's no resistance because of the angle of the plastic but you've got the strength of the swivel instead of the plastic so when you're throwing eight ounces or something you ain't got to worry about it so throwing eight and bait with that gets you in the setup where it breaks away and gets you and it has a pulley to protect that's smart yeah it's going to work so that's the type of equipment I use. The but we also fish our very light seven foot rods, the Alpha. Working block guts, working in the first gut, even getting in scraps with jackfish and things with them rods. And there, as long as you walk with the fish, you're going to be okay. A lot of people sit there and you'll see the fish down the beach at an angle. Your job is to stay in line with that fish. So normally what happens on a big fish, it'll hit, it'll run straight out, stop, turn, and then move with the current either way. Your job is to walk with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I learned that lesson the hard way not too long ago. So with those rigs, so you already talked about on this next part of where you cast, you're looking at the guts and basically you're, you're playing on the different holes there and then running through. So when you're fishing, is that your personal, like that's your normal rig go-to right there when you're beach fishing? And then are you throw, are you throwing anything else? Are you throwing lures or plugs? Like, I don't know. You said plugs. Spoons, heavy plugs. 
up to three ounces. Normally, I do them on a more visual basis. Spoons, okay. you know, I'm looking for action on the water. I'm looking for bird movement. That's when I start throwing big plugs. Them rigs I was showing you were bait rigs. Now, in Texas, you got to remember, we've got 61 miles of beach, and we can drive along the beach, pick a spot. When people want to fish with me, I know I piss them off because I will move every 20 minutes, all right? So if I'm not getting a bite, I'm out, right? I've got to have had a bite within 20 minutes. Now, what I do is I drive my truck, face it at the ocean, take a rod, put a sand spike 20 foot away, bang one out. I also walk maybe 50 foot from the sand spike in the direction the current's coming from. I then bang my singer out as far as I can and then slack the line off, come back to the sand spike, hold, put my rod in the holder, and I set the line as if it's dead in front of me. The sinker actually is over there. But that develops this bow in the line and it buries your sinker in and it does not move. Wow. So you give a little bit of let you get a little bit of leeway in your line. You don't keep it super taut. No, hell no. You don't want to do that. Wow. Okay. I've always so for me, I've always thrown I fish primarily Sputniks. Uh you know, when I throw it out, I get it in, I get it set, and I give myself just a little bit of a parabolic bend. That way I can see, okay, I got a taut line. And if something hits, I get the slap back and I know, oh, hey, if I wasn't paying attention, I've got a, a piece there. But a little bit of a slack line, that helps with setting? Or So, yeah, what actually happens is if you throw it in front of you and tighten the line, what you're doing is basically pulling the sinker out of the sand and the current will roll it down the beach. Right? But if you walk towards the current, give yourself 50 yards, throw it out as far as you can, right? Slack the line off, come back to your rod spike. So it's now 50, it's 50 foot over there, right? Put your rod in the rod holder and just bring your line so it appears that it's dead straight. The current will then pull the tip of the rod down, all right? That's now turn the sinker directly into the current. When the fish hits, the rod tip will drop up and the rod will drop. And then you know you're in. And it's coming towards you and you've got to collect the slack and stay in front of it. That's as simple as that. Okay. That makes sense with current. Okay. I understand now with that piece, with the turning, that way you're in streamline and you can work it through. Okay. That makes a lot more sense. Thanks for, thanks for expounding on that one. I appreciate it. Uh, so There's a video online. If you go online to youtube.com, forward slash nickaway look and type uptide that tells you how to do that i will make sure i get that uploaded uh, a hyperlink writing all that down always in the notes always in the notes <laughs> you gotta take notes right Okay, so you talked about the rigs, where you cast, and then those pieces there. Uh, let's talk about a little bit of the bait options. So you mentioned earlier, you know, mullet. Obviously, I heard that one there, too. Um, and you mentioned fish gum. Uh, with those pieces, what do you like to use when you're beach fishing? Obviously, I thoroughly enjoy throwing lures. I enjoy fly fishing around ladyfish and stuff like that. But when there's plenty of action in the summer, I do a lot of fly fishing. I throw lures. Um I thoroughly enjoy top waters. Like that's some of the best fun I have with a seven foot rod. I used to ride a motorbike up and down the beaches and just carry a popping rod and get out there and just hunt trout. I love 
targeting trout and uh, with topwater lures. It makes my day. So, you guys have a good trout fishery, though, from the beach. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, it's really good. It took a lot of damage with that double red tide we had going back maybe four years ago. It totally destroyed the fishery. We used to have resident trout fisheries down in the 30s, which either way, right, so if you look at our beach, you'll see there's Mansfield, which is a cut back to the bay, and then there's Packery, which is a cut back to the bay. And the bay waters come out of there. In the summer, the fish are obviously up and down the beach, but they, some of them are heading towards, say, the northern one, and they're going to go in. Right, so the trout fishery around them entrances in the first mile, they're resident fish from them cutthroats, right? We used to have a massive trout fishery, which was 30, 40 miles down the beach, which wasn't being fed from them two points. Very healthy trout, big, clean. You pick one up, it's a solid lump of meat, right? The... Uh, sadly, that double red tide knocked it on the head, but we're just starting to recover from it. That red tide is the most devastating, unreported, uncared about thing that happens on our beaches. I mean, it's it, it, very dangerous. And I think that's uh, when that mutates, which it has done, and starts affecting people, then we're going to start taking it seriously. I remember 12 years ago, maybe longer, I read a paper by a gentleman in Florida who said he'd come up with a cure for it. And, yeah, he did. And he was – but he couldn't get the funding. I remember seeing that as clear as a bell. And uh, they really need to focus in on that because it's a killer. And it's caused by nitrates being washed down the Mississippi into the Gulf of Mexico. Now, here's another point that people don't realize. People complain about sargasso, all right? Sargasso weed actually removes the nitrates. It feeds on it. So really, it's your friend, all right? And if you see big weed events, that's because there's so many nitrates coming out of the Gulf, out of uh, the Mississippi, and that's what's causing it. Okay. You Are you using an external mic or the computer mic? Oh, you. You don't hear me. Interesting. I think you're it? muted. No, no, I'm not anymore. No, I'm uh, the problem I ran into. Can you hear me now? No. Um, I found this on the web for who said he'd come up with a cure for it. And yeah, he did. And he was, but he couldn't get the funding. I remember <laughs> seeing that it's clear as a bell. And they really need to focus in on that because it's a killer. And it's caused by nitrates being washed down the middle Mississippi into the Gulf of Mexico. Now, here's another this. point people don't realize. People complain about sargasso. All right, sargasso weed actually removes the nitrates. <laughs> and really it's just Big weed events. That's because there's so many nitrates coming out of the Gulf. However, the Mississippi, and that's what's causing it. Can hear you? I think you're muted. Check it out. <laughs> that's a... go back. Okay, so I was going to ask you because something I noticed your audio had changed while we were mid conversation. There, you went really loud all of a sudden. So I was wondering if you were using an external mic or something, or wonder if a button got pushed. But yes, I can hear you just fine now. It's mellowed out all as well. <laughs> well, this is going to be fun for me to try to edit, but I'll figure it out. You'll get it done. Yep, yep. That's what I. That's well, what I do. <laughs> I, I'm very impressed with your show, and that it's it's great. And the fishermen are all starting to listen more, and 
It's a really good thing. I'm glad. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, good for you. We're trying. That's the key. <laughs> well, now that we've been running for the now that we've been running for this long, let's go ahead and get our next bay check knocked out. This next bay check, uh, well, actually, let's back it up. This is your second bay check. Hopefully, you've caught a ton of fish. And if you haven't, now I'm going to ask you why. What have you not done yet? Have you moved not? Or haven't you moved yet? Have you changed the bait yet? Maybe you need to change your rig. Maybe it's a bead. Maybe it's a float. Who knows? But if you're not catching, let's change something. That's got to make you catch fish. It's going to be out there. This bait check is being brought to you by The Sinker Guy. Head on over to thesinkerguy.com and take a look at all the things that Chip's got going on in The Sinker Guy Garage. Bruno Rig has been selling great. Great rig in the Gulf here. I've also seen it going a lot in the East Coast side. You got the uh, other tackle pieces you need. If you need terminal tackle, he's got you covered. Hooks, swivels, pieces of that nature, all set up. Don't forget to get your hands on the old mortician. That's another fun one. Great rig to get your hands on. Sinkerguy.com. Get your order in today. So lots of stuff you're really throwing, like massive haymakers of knowledge here. Like I, I am excited to be able to go back and basically really dissect this. And when you started talking about uh, the baits and lures, that was really cool too. One company I was going to ask you about, um, since you have a tackle shop, you probably see it uh, all the time, is Halco with the Australian side there. They're the big on the rooster poppers. They've also got a bunch of pieces there. Uh, have you noticed any differences in certain topwater poppers or anything like that has been a you know this one's been the money maker for you the uh dialer brought out a lure transfer mitts uh i've got something now i'll show you in a minute they're about that big cast awesomely and uh they really do uh, get the water moving nicely and you know put it up and they're just what roosters and jackfish want uh there's another one which is called a carbo killer that's hard to get hold of. Uh, there's a shop in Carbo that produces them. If you've got anyone going to Carbo, just ask them to bring a couple back for you. It's yeah. worth having in your table box. I tried to get the dealership on them, but I don't. they're not prepared to do that at the moment. But they're a really good plug, both of them. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, looks like I'm going online later on and ordering myself some new stuff. Because yeah. Topwater has been a something i've been trying to get better at uh, i've done a couple of different episodes with some topwater guys you know island x lures out of mass he uses a pencil that does uh just barely subsurface you know really interesting pieces there with the splashing but yeah everyone uh, several people have mentioned to me like hey you got to do topwater topwater in the surf top is water, a great so runner. the key is is put it where the fish are let the let look for the signs look for the birds fin, look for the oil on the water that sort of thing. That's what you've got to be looking for. And if you see it, go with it. Honestly, it works. And I should imagine in your beautiful clear water, we have a trouble here compared to what your water clarity is, and yours is so clear because your, your sand is from uh, coral, where ours is from mud, I would think. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, it, I mean, ours, we do get clear water, but if I look at your water, I'd call it a 10 where our visibility is consistently about six to seven. Yeah, I've heard that. It brings in good sharks as well. Our shark fishery is very active. So is yours. And, uh, yeah, we've got a really strong shark fishery. I It's not my way of fishing to run a bait and sit for eight hours waiting for someone to pick it up. 
I, I just don't fish like that. A lot of people do, and they have a lot of fun. So I'm not decrying it. And I think it's a fishery that we will. They're providing also a lot of inform, uh, information, really this DNA research as to sharp movements, et cetera, which is important to all of us. Yeah, very much so for, for sure in that. Well, now that you brought that up, actually, it's cool that you did the compare and contrast. When you're going to... Uh, when you're going to fish a different area than your own, have you ever noticed that there's major differences or is it all kind of the same? Although I fish with my own equipment and stuff, you, you've always got to listen to local knowledge, try and get it. Now you were talking about Destin and Tim and Tom. Then people have always been free of giving information. out. If you go and ask them, they'll tell you. Your tackle shop is a way to find the info. Do you know what I mean? They'll give you yes. the, the down. Now, how you choose to fish it is up to you, but they will point you in the right direction and tell you what bait to be using or what fish bites or fish gum, whatever you're using to use at that time. And it, that sort of knowledge is so valuable, you know. I've had some – I was just thinking of a, a time I was up in Ocracoke doing um, a seminar in a local fishery there. And I don't know why it come to my head, but I'll tell you a funny story. We, I was out on the Ocracoke Island doing a demonstration of long casting, showing people how to pendulum cast and back cast. By the way, I'll get onto that one again, because if you've got any fishermen, old fishermen with injured shoulders, the back cast is the way to go. That's where the rod doesn't leave your hip. There's no stress on your shoulders at all. I've even do it for, if you go to my YouTube, for Nickaway casting wheelchair, you can do it from a wheelchair, it's that safe. But we were out there on the Ocracoke Island, I was demonstrating our equipment and showing them how to fish, and then this storm started to come in, and the black clouds were coming, and the weather was deteriorating terribly. And I saw this car come along the beach and it raced past me, and then a hundred yards behind it was this beautiful flounder racing along the beach. But he got one on and forgot to wind it in. It was just flounder <laughs> as it went past. It. Oh no! Yeah, I don't know oh. that. But I just thought I'd throw it in. Yeah, it was a funny one. Yeah, it was absolutely. It was. We've had some a real good shark fishery now that's being well monitored. Um, there, a lot of shark fishing, more than I've ever seen in my life. You know, it's nothing to drive the beach and find one a mile. And then we have the big Surf Cats tournament coming up, and there will be a ton of them, lots of them. You know, it's a, it's a very healthy fishery, that one. And they're providing good knowledge for everyone. Yeah, I'm glad that the Shark Gang, I don't think I've talked to one yet on the show, uh, and not really personally either, that they're not involved with the NOAA groups or something along that nature of sending information back. And, I mean, it's many hands do good things you know you yeah. can get a lot of knowledge out there so i think that's good and then i've also heard your shark fishing is pretty impressive especially in the last episode oh, i yeah. did on texas i think you caught some uh 
great whites where you are. Yeah, um, one gentleman in particular, I think it's his fourth or fifth, and he's not targeting. He's it's just, you know, you know how it is. If you're using right. a float rig, yeah, it's gonna happen. You know, if they're there, they're hungry, they're gonna get it. But yeah, a couple a uh, couple of great whites off the beach is always enough to get your eyes up, like, ooh, okay, they're here. The biggest sharks I normally catch, and they're not some of my target, is maybe four or five foot bull sharks. Yeah. You know? I've heard that. Yeah. And uh they can be mean. <laughs> They do not appreciate that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sharks are, uh, I have an unnatural, I, I, it's so stupid. Like, I, I know they won't bite me. I know I'm not a meal for them. Oh, no, hang on. They will. Well, they will. They could, they yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm not their primary uh, slab oh, yeah. of prime rib. But, well, you, you know. It's quite tasty if you're a <laughs> squint. <laughs> yeah. So, for me, I'm always like, mm, shark. Uh, you know, I kind of get a little. Do you have a lot of problem with them? Maybe. We do. It, we will when they start doing their massive migration um you know people will go out and they're normally they're normally not super close they're normally at the first cut the first bar um but you know you still got to tell people hey look if there's not a lot of people out here and you're walking out to the water do the do the shuffle i mean shuffle those feet don't just step so we see them every now and again but most of the part i mean maybe one or two a year think of what i've heard i'm sure it's a way off statistic but in our area i've only heard of one or two a year somebody getting hit we get many many people in it's there's more people hit by stingray injured by them than anything else it's, it, and one one of our uh real good fisherwomen she got hit so badly it, it was like she nearly lost her foot oh nothing you can play with it cut it severed a ligament and went into a bone one good thing I did find out, right, is uh, several of my friends have been hit, and they say hot water is the one that takes the pain away. You can also use that on hardheads. Temperature of the water has to be over 118 to nullify that uh, poison, and it can take up to an hour to totally kill it off. But they will find um, far less pain once they get it into that water. So we're so far down the beach, like if you come across someone that's hit, there's very little you can do unless you've got some way of producing hot water. So what I do is I now I carry a thermos flask full of boiling water, all right? I put the boil. do you know what a hot water bottle is? One of them rubber hot water bottles you used to use as a kid? Oh, yeah, I remember those. I pour the hot water in the water bottle, right? And that's what I wrap around the leg. Okay, so that's a, a good way to do that. It gives you that. At the same time, this <laughs> might sound weird. I've always used and always carried Preparation H for taking hooks out, all that sort of stuff. And any hit I got, like people say, take the slime off the bottom of the fish, put it in the wound, it'll stop aching. It's more like because your hand's going to drop off. That honestly is, is a recommended thing, right? But so wow. there was a great book, if any of you fishermen listen like reading books, called The Plugger. And he was a gentleman that fished from uh, the chandeliers in the Louisiana all the way down to Ninth Hole in Mexico. Right. So when I first got here, I read his book. And he would do everything with a spoon, but the one thing he would always carry with him was preparation age, which he had put in the wound which stopped the swelling, which would help take the pain away and stopped him getting infected. 
So he carried that. I followed that, by the way. I went all, all the way down into La Pesca fishing the surf when I first got here because I wanted to do what he, he had done. And it, I used to love fishing Mexico until the last time I went, I got stopped 19 times. But these people that didn't really look like policemen. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of know yeah. what you're talking about because I ran into that a few times in Tijuana. But, yeah. you know, that's just different. <laughs> yeah. Right. That country is so beautiful. It's just such a shame. There's so much stress upon people going there, you know, to be careful on that. I, I did watch some awesome video of a young lady that rode from Argentina up to the top of Alaska on a motorbike by herself going all the way through Mexico and everything. Awesome. Wow, that's a long run. Isn't that look great? Yeah. That's now, I want to do Alaska. That's somewhere I want to do. I want to see the northern lights. I would like to go there and fish. And I had a trip planned with a mate of mine who had a drift boat, and I was going to go up and spend a couple of weeks drifting down these rivers with him. And unfortunately, he died. That's what happens when you get to my age. People just bugger off. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, not intentionally, but yes. <laughs> they do get gone. <laughs> yep. Well, one more, uh, one more last question on this before we move into the tackle shop discussion. So with the seasons, we all know seasons make a huge difference in the fishing game. You know, you're going to get different species, different temperatures, bring different things. What is the, when it comes to your seasons, what have you noticed between all four of them with your fishing games? Okay. The, the period I'm in now, all right, we watch water temperature is critical. Like if the water temperature drops to 55, everything goes to sleep. It does. You're going to be out there beating yourself with a stick. So you need temperatures this time of year. If you can keep them above 60 degrees, all right, you should be okay. So that's what I look for is water temperature is critical because everything moves out and will go deep. And if you're fishing the bays, same thing. If that water temperature starts dropping, they go into the deep holes. They make it easy to target because you, if you know where them holes are, you can pull out trout. But it's the same in the surf. They're going to move out to the deeper water where it's warmer. So that's everyone. And, and then your summertime, I mean, you get hot. We get hot. You get really? super hot. But if you're on the beach, it's not that bad. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, and you get a – that's when – the fish are most active. There's a lot going on. Do you know what I mean? Your yeah. visual feeders come in in the spring. Once that water starts getting up to the 70, your visual feeders start coming in. Your jackfish, you know, uh, all the mackerels and things, your ladyfish, they all start turning up. And visually is how I catch them as well. I'm not putting baits out and throwing plugs looking for them. Okay. No, that's harvest time. That should be, you know, okay. it's nothing. I go out first thing in the morning, I run down the beach, takes it's about 20 miles. I'll have 10 to 15 pomelo in the box, up to six pounds and bigger, right? Six and pound I'm, pomps. Are you yeah, serious? I'm serious. And I'll be back at work by 10 o'clock. I didn't know they got that big. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. Biggest one I've had is six and a quarter. The record is six and a quarter here as well. 
Oh man. Okay. All right. Corpus Christi on the on the stop they list must happen. They were as thick as that. They're awesome. Oh man, that I'm like I'm excited now. That's there's cool. There's no breaks here at all on the pole. They're not protected right. in any way. You know, you can go and get your. A lot of the shark fishermen use them obviously for bait. <laughs> <laughs> which i think is terrible <laughs> they are a, a, a great fishery i mean i think anybody that is a super pompano hunter just heard that and was like no 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 we have other fish for sharks they do they i it breaks my heart i'll, I'll have them stop and say have you got any pomp nick can i have some no <laughs> you can't <laughs> I'll give you the carcass after yeah. I'm done getting the meat. <laughs> oh, a great fish. Yeah. Oh, man. All right, what's jackfish? The jackfish? What about them? Them yet? No, I've, I have yet to link into one. There are a bunch here, all the jacks, but I have yet to link into one. But that's also mate. because I haven't targeted them properly. Uh, I had a mate who uh, was working in Africa, and he thought he was eating tuna for six months. Until he found out it was jackfish. Right? <laughs> he so, wasn't happy. So he showed me what they did. They just take the back strap out. So if you look on the internet somewhere, I think there's a picture of me saying, I'm going to eat a jackfish. And I took the back strap out and I'm holding this up here like this. And there is this monstrous worm hanging out of it that I didn't see. <laughs> all right. Until I got home. So, but. I also remember an old man named Ralph Wade who told me, I said, Ralph, them black drum are full of weed, uh, full of worms. You don't want to be eating them. He said, don't worry about them. They melt in Crisco. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Given enough heat, everything dies. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not into that. Oh, no, no. I'm never, I'm never a fan when I open up into the worms. Like, oh, here we go. Yeah. So now let's talk about the tackle shop. And, you already nailed the first question right there uh, when it comes to, you know, what I think or what you think people that don't visit uh, the tackle shop, but locals do, you know, you talk about how important it is that they, it's a central intelligence part. Yeah, and the tackle shop's always going to see every angler that's going to come in to say, hi, we've got friends in the community that know people, you know, people are going to talk about their fishing. The tackle shop's always a great centralized place to, to come for that. But, um, Matter of fact, I'm going to ask because I think there might be more to this. So what is something that people that visit don't know that the tackle shop does, but the locals, they all know? One is local knowledge is key. Right? Let me tell you about my tackle shop. I mainly supply dealers all over America with the, who buy breakaway rods. Right? And... Uh, very much involved in long distance casting, set up tournaments. I do a lot of training. I do free lessons every Saturday morning. I do beach reports every day. So I'll put a beach report up where I video. So basically that's my commitment to my community is to keep them informed as much as I can. I the the people that I'm worried about in the industry is what was called the wholesaler, all right? Now, they used to be really big when I first got here, the Henrys, the Folsoms, all these people. Now, there are certain wholesalers that will deal with what we call mass merchants, your Walmarts, your Cabela's, your Bass Pro. 
There's Cabela's. Take that one, for instance. I used to, I was in that for years, okay? And I would do TV shows for them all over the country. But a new scheme took place where the last meeting I went to them, there was two young kids there, and I was saying, let me show you this new one. They weren't a bit interested. They're interested in numbers. You know, they're, they're looking on a computer and they're going to go, oh, they've never heard. How can you introduce something new when it hasn't got this stick behind it? So the industry has changed. I used to be able to go to these dealers, these mass merchants. I would know the buyers. They go, hi, Nick, come on in. Come in the car park. Show us one of your long cars. So I'd do that and stuff like this, and we'd all go to lunch together. But the last time I was on the road really heavy, total different ballgame. Now, what's happened is the Internet has had a colossal effect, Amazon, on, I believe, the wholesaler more than the deal, independent dealer. I've got – I'm a manufacturer with, with a shop selling to the end user, all right? But – I value so much the independent fishing people that I've, I'm doing ICAST this year with the sole purse, person, uh, reason of meeting some of the guys down there in Florida that I've lost contact with. But, like, if you look at what Bass Pro, Cabela's, the Walmarts, they're all basically shoving the same stuff. There's nothing really too smart about it now for a casual fisherman that's great go to walmart get yourself an ugly stick use it and throw it away at the end <laughs> do you know what i mean it's not that what you call it and i get people who go um oh there's this new rod out it's supposed to be the best casting rod on the planet the lv reels are world record holder let me tell you i travel around this country doing long casting tournaments now for 30 years right and if I don't see that rod manufacturer on that line, it ain't no long casting rod. Because if it was, someone would be using it. You're going to see Breakaway, Sentry, Ziplex, Italicama, right? They're your long casting rods. This is what people are casting up to 900 plus feet using the Italicamas these days. That is such a long day. 300 yards. That's ridiculous. It's over 300 yards. That's insane. That's just crazy. Yeah, you're talking 950 foot is the latest cast. I put on um, teaching every Saturday morning. I go to the beach from 7.30 to 8.30 to teach new casters using their own equipment. Haven't got to be breakaway. They just turn up and we help them improve the casting. And we get there, um, you can double their distance with just very little input. It's just because people mainly, I'm going to demonstrate this, mainly people when they cast, it's like they've got the same hands as Tyrannosaurus Rex. It's all push, all right? Yeah. A long cast, this left hand, right, is going to do the pulling. This stays stiff. This hand has to come through target and pull. That's where you generate tip sleeve. And that thing that's coming off there at 200 mile an hour, if, if you've got in the way of it, it'd kill you. So <laughs> that's why shock leaders is so important. If you go to my YouTube, uh, there is a rule. It's for every ounce you're throwing, you need 10-pound breaking strain of shock leader. Minimum. Yep. 
Yeah, that's the knowledge I, I had to learn the hard way as I sent some lead out to Poseidon a few times. But yeah, once I put the shock leader on, game on. I, I was, you know, you can launch some stuff with a shock leader. Also, yeah, if you're using Braid, the, th the other rule to remember is when you're dealing with abrasion, you cannot beat diameter, right? So yeah, the little bit on the end that's over that sandbar, you want that to be thicker than that. 10 pound thickness braid that you're using so 30 foot of thicker line like i'll use a 90 pound braid as a tippet as a as the uh, shock leader okay that makes sense about 30 foot of it and you're running normally are you running spinners or are you running conventional that's your preference both. spinning okay. is when i want to move a plug quick let yeah. me show you something High speed. could you get me the cam have you heard of the cannon? The casting cannon? Yep, that was uh, something that I learned quite a bit. That's helped me become a better caster. Guess who invented that? You? Breakaway. Oh, no kidding. And Nigel Forrest invented that. This little baby here. Yep, I have one um, on one rod. I, I set mine off 90 degrees off to the left, though. I, I had mine oh, like yeah, that, but I kept hitting it. Yep. Well. That's where it comes in handy. That... I mean, this is now being copied by so many people, but I'm really glad it's crap, <laughs> right? This one is the genuine breakaway cannon. It's the only one I guarantee is going to outlast anything that they're putting on the market now. So people are copying our cannons, our clips, our everything. And the only thing that keeps us separated is our reputation of providing good equipment and backing up what we say. Now, Here's another thing that a lot of people don't understand about the American market. When I first got here, I was having my rods made by a company called All Star in Houston. I was working with a dear gentleman named Tim Grenham, another one that's passed away, but awesome guy. Bright, smart, really nice to be around. I used to go and see him. We design rods, and I would go on the road, and I'd drive all the way up the East Coast and back, stopping at shops, selling these rods that were made at All-Star. But the prices were coming up and up. A rod, a good casting rod uh, made by All-Star, if, if it was being done today, it would be seven or 800 bucks, all right? Where the market price mentally for the fisherman, high-dollar rod would be 250 bucks. He might pay that, yeah. right? So all these people complaining about China and all that stuff, right? These people are not prepared to pay American prices made in America. Do you know what I mean? So they'll be buying stuff at Walmart and they walk out and go, oh, Chinese. And but what we do as manufacturers, and it's sad, we have to go around the world looking for countries where they're still sticking kids up chimneys for a dollar a day to produce that, <laughs> manufacture that equipment. Now, AI might change that. You might get an American manufacturer. Once you take the labor costs out, might be able to do it. I don't know. But um, it's something I watch and I laugh about because you know people come in, oh, could I have a look at American rods? I, I said, you can't find one. They're really difficult to come by, right? So that's something that we need to be looking at. Excellent points. Absolutely excellent points. And, yeah, 
who knows what technology is going to bring. Um, this is a perfect time for us to get the last bait check of the episode in because we still got a lot more to talk about here. We really do. This bait check is brought to you by Ninja Tackle. Head on over to NinjaTackleVA.com and take a look at all the cool stuff that Matt's got going on out of there. Ninja Rod, 7 foot all the way to 13. He's got the bummy sticks all in stock, available to get your hands on. Maybe you need to get your hands on some other gear and tackle, got you covered. Or you need an optic for your firearm. Heavily pushing on with Glock, he's got uh, custom parts for that. Red dot sights, you name it. So NinjaTackleVA.com, get your order in today. So when you nailed all the cool stuff, and that was really fun about the, the uh, casting cannon, because that was one of the few things that I uh, I had the worst time in the beginning to 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 cast with. I tell you, it was the worst. And you know, cutting your finger, and you know, I was throwing like I was a bass fisherman, just you know, big whip hand on the right. Now I've you know, much thankfully I've learned quite a bit from watching other people, and I I found my groove that works, and you know, I can cast it very comfortably. Yeah, I think the longest I've had is 160, 170 yards. I can't remember. I'd have to go back. But I also had a great tailwind. <laughs> I love tailwind days. Um, but the piece with the casting cannon really helped me understand where to let go. You know, because you know you do three rats. Do you do that? Yeah, yeah, I do three or four. Yep. And that that was my first lesson of you, you need to wrap it or it's not gonna hold properly. So yeah, that it's a great tool. So thank you very much for bringing that up. Yeah, that's a good one, man. Marie, could you grab me a dial plug up here so I can just jam there? So while Marie's doing that, let me ask you another question here. What do you think a reason is that visitors in the area don't come to the local tackle shops to get their gear versus going to the big box stores? Do you think it's mostly money or do you think it's something else? If you're talking about an, edu an educated fisher person, they're going to know that the tackle store is where you're going to get the deal. You're not going to get it from the big shop. You know what I mean? It's just not going to happen. Right. And normally uh, someone like I found the biggest mistake I made when I opened a shop was people always go location, location, location. Bullshit. Right? If you've got a fisherman that's looking for breakaway, he's going to find you. Right now, my shop is way out. All right. It's people's. I'll get them turn up and they go, man, I had a hell of a job. I found you through Google. Okay, great. Now, when I had a shop in town, I had all the people that should be really shopping at Walmart who would spend a lot of time, my time, setting them up and tell them how to go fish. Where now I get genuine fishermen who know what Breakaway is about or they want to find out what Breakaway is about. And they're quite prepared to go five miles out of the way to find me. So if they turn up at my shop, I'm duty bound to be respectful for the time they've put in to get to me. And I want their day to be as successful as possible. And I will, not like the old days, I'm going to give these people as much knowledge as I've got or I can find to help. And that's one of the biggest things I think people never understand when you're starting out in this game that you avoid the tackle shops. The old stigma is it it's a whole, it's unfounded in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But going into the tackle shop is just such a great experience, even if you're beginning fishing, because if you don't know and you don't follow YouTube, you don't follow, you know, any of this stuff, and you were just an average angler, it's easy to walk into Wally World and go grab this stuff. But if you walk into the tackle shop, everyone I've been in, even when coming out of different areas each one of them is asking the important what are you fishing for 
how do you want to do it? And then they tailor yes. it. You know, they're not, they're not offering like, oh, you need a van stall and you need this star arrow rod. You know, they're not going for the right. massive markup things. It's right. what are you doing? How are you doing it? And it's not a question of budget. It's like, look, these are the things I would, and this is what I would do. But the conversation in a tackle shop, you're going to get nine times out of 10. Perfect. It's going to get you set up for success. But if you go into like Walmart and you talk to the associate, hey, I'm going to go pompano fishing. I don't know. Go grab that. Yeah, they it's there. So yeah, the tackle shop is such a and a well utilized by the seasoned anglers, but I don't think it's utilized enough by the traveling tourists and those pieces. I, I think a lot of them are just, you know, because they're picking up groceries and whatnot. They're stopping. You know, the advice I'd give to the tackle shop is try and let do as much as you can to educate the people that want to fish your area. Like give them the beach reports. Tell them what area they were catching the fish in. This is all stuff that used to be top secret. Do you know what I mean? I remember being threatened by a group of fishermen from here, right, that said, if I keep telling people stuff, they were going to write my name on the board. I said, I don't give a shit. <laughs> That's the gospel truth. And you ought to hear the email message, the messages I get on the phone. It's, aren't they classic? There's a good one on there now. I don't think I'll get them to play. Oh boy, yeah, people need to. Re it's, it's a recording world nowadays. You don't you don't put certain things out there. You don't want aired. It's hilarious. Oh man, that's not that's good. That's what I was talking about. Oh okay. That's a jackfish killer. And that's by Daiwa. The Meg Megapot. What was that saying? Me Mibachi. Mibachi popper. Okay, it looks big. I mean, it looks nice. Oh, it is. A big and nice open head too to get the splash. Okay. And you can cast it a mile. It's really good. I I I've been down there and there's been three of us hooked up, all using these plugs. I mean, when them jacks are running, they'll wear you out. And the shark fishermen love them. Oh man, a strike off that with a shark that and getting that full power hit. Oh wow. Well, Go after the jackfish that you caught. And oh, were, oh, oh, God. Oh, wow. No. Oh, jackfish. Do you know the ranges they're fishing at? It's like 500 yards out and they got a 20 pound of bait on there. It's amazing. Yeah, it's insane. But they have to sit there all day and just drive me bonkers. <laughs> you know, have to move. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, so with your shop with Breakaway, what are some services that are offered there? Okay, of course, we manufacture a lot of very unique equipment, which a lot of the people, we invented the first thing that looked like a paper clip, right, which people are now using as a joint. We invented that, which was the Fastlink. We invented the Sputnik sinker. We invented the Canon. Yeah. We invented the Imp. So we're right up there looking how to improve by inventing good stuff that works for inventing good stuff for fishermen's good yeah that's basically yes. it and then it, we our objective is to increase your effective fishing range so that you the key to our game is a small bit of bait where the fish are is far better than a big bit where they're not perfect <laughs> 
You know how many times I've used those click links? Those things are oh, ridiculous. Okay. Those things are huge help in the beginning. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, they are. They are. Um, you've answered a bunch of other questions already, so it kind of works out that we're pushing through here. Uh, does the shop rent out any fishing equipment for people coming through? No. <laughs> no. Easy. I like. Uh, you know, I mean, if it's a mate, I'll lend him some stuff. Yeah. But uh, ours is like high level stuff. You know, we've got the Italicana rods, which currently hold the world record. You're going to pay up to 600 bucks for one of them. Uh, HDXs, 250, 260. We've got the Ballista, which is 13 foot. That's if there's a Florida Pompano rod, it's the breakaway Ballista. All right. Ideal for putting three, uh, three to five, six ounces, well over 200 yards. No problem. In fact, it's got a recorded cast of five ounces, well over 700 foot. That was at the Kingsville event. Man, that sounds, that that's intense. That's a lot of line right there to be fishing and fighting with. Yeah. Oh, oh so with, uh, we, we talked a little bit about the other pieces, like what tips you would offer for visiting the area. You man, nailed that one down and crushed that. But let's talk into the, one of these ones because the industry itself, you've had your finger on that pulse for a long time, especially, you know, you said when you started out there and then you've been moving through. What have been some valuable lessons learned about the tackle industry that you have seen that have had to come through your shop? The valuable lesson is that if you, as an individual retailer, want to survive, you've got to be selling more than just fishing gear. You've got to be giving advice. That's the only thing that's going to trap your market, is let people know you're there to help them. Then they'll drive out of their way to come and see you. You know, so... All good tackle shots, my advice would be a strong YouTube presence where you're giving out information on a regular basis as to baits and locations, right? Then you're going to draw the traffic. And once people start knowing you, they don't care about paying an extra dollar for something. They're going to come and see you. They want that information. That's the key. So information to me is the key. And we're in an information age. And we need to be sharing as much as we can. Also, I would advise us as an industry to try and somehow unite all the different areas like Florida, East Coast, Boston, Hatteras. We should all be realizing we're fishermen and we need one voice because we're getting attacked on a daily basis by the feds closing beaches on us and stuff like that. So that's something important as well. If I was a better in government, I'd say, hey, I'm already doing that with a podcast. Pick me. But uh, I don't, I don't want to go are. I don't, don't want to go there. You are doing it. Uh, and the point is, like they're trying to close areas of our national seashore for the turtle season, right? We all should be fighting the same thing. You ain't going to touch our rights. That was given to the people by the on the original deed. It says for the benefit of the people. Don't say anything about the benefit of the turtle uh, <laughs> or any other benefit. But the feds are very difficult to deal with. They just give you total non-truths and non-committal answers, and then they'll take every one of while they're digging into your wallet. 
They will steal your watch the second that you're not looking. And we are going to do an episode all about that because the National Seashore piece, you've got a lot to talk about with that. And we're definitely going to do that in our next episode with you because we're going to have a two-part. We're going to uh, go from there. So you guys aren't going to want to miss out on that. There's uh, a lot of good things that are going to come from this that might just um, open your brain and, for lack of better terms, piss you off. So don't worry. It's coming. <laughs> so we'll, we'll move in here to the finishing up for you here because you nailed so many of these other ones. So what kind of knowledge would you give to somebody just starting out into the surf fishing game? Okay. I, I would say, like, if, when you're teaching them to cast, I, I wouldn't recommend buying high-dollar stuff for a kickoff. What I do is I look at someone when they come in and they say they're just about to get into it. I ask them, are you the type of person that if I sell you this reel, will go to a field three times a week to learn how to cast? Or are you the type of person who wants to buy a spinning reel where you haven't got to go and learn that really anything? You can be fishing in five minutes as good as it gets. So I want to establish at what level of commitment they're going to put into it before I start advising them. I also look physically how capable they are because that determines equipment as well. You know what I mean? Women need a different one than guys and different length rods and things. So all these factors are important. When they walk in, I ask them what they want to target. That's critical. Targeting species uh, anywhere. Local knowledge is going to give you help you as well. If you want to catch fish, go in. They'll tell you what's running. You then start knowing what you're going to target. But you as a fisher person, if you come in to me, and I like his 25-year-old built like a bull, and I know he's going to want to get sharks. Do you know what I mean? It's as simple as that. <laughs> yeah. And I will still ask the question. So, yeah, there's a lot goes into me deciding. And one of the things I love is the questions I get, like how far will I be able to throw with this rod? And that's like walking into a shoe shop and saying, how high can you buy, jump if you buy these? Nike trainers, <laughs> Do you know what I yeah. mean? So technique is one third of the game. You know, practicing, getting your techniques right, real important. Learn how st as much as you can about uptiding and stuff like that. It makes the trip more pleasurable. Keep your sand spikes separate. Don't, don't buy cheap sand spikes. I've had people... Not long ago, maybe a month ago, he come in, he bought a ballista and a reel, brand new, like 600 bucks worth of gear, okay? I see him down the beach. He said, do you mind if I fish south? I said, no. So he starts fishing 100 yards from me, all right? He come up and he goes, everything's gone. I go, what do you mean? His sand spike, plastic tube laying in the dirt. Uh, yeah, PVC got him. Right, so I sat there, luckily enough, I started walking down current, throwing as far as I could with just a sinker, and I was able to catch it. I was able to bring it back. You're but, a good man. Yeah, that's, uh, the, you know, listen to what they're going to say and just get out there and enjoy it. It's a beautiful thing. Even if you're catching no fish, the fun your family will have on that beach and the knowledge you can learn by just sitting there looking is awesome. Mm-hmm. 
good on you, sir. And yes, the PVC is the worst. That's why I carry metal now because I've lost a rod. And yeah. I've, I've, I've learned my lesson right there. <laughs> there you go. What do you think there has been the reason for such a surge into surf fishing? I, to be honest, I mean, this is the weirdest thing, but that COVID certainly helped. <laughs> and I'm looking for yeah. the next disease. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there was a lot of people found a lot of time. They wanted isolation. So it fitted right in a slot. Boom. Yeah, I'm going surf fishing, and it's great. You don't need to be near people. You can sit there with your family almost in isolation, and it's great. Yeah, it's a wonderful environment to just get away from it and enjoy it. It's one of the biggest gifts that I've been given in my life is to find out there was an ocean with salt water and fish in it. It is a really good gift. Well played on that. All right. So we'll do this last question here and uh, we'll get you out of here. So the next big question that I love asking is what's next for you? I'm going to spend more time down in South America fishing. I I want to get a trip in up to Alaska as well before too long. Um, uh, You know, I really do. I want to get up there. I want to see, I'm now 72 years old. And so, you know, I'm on the last lap and I just want to tick a few more boxes before I give the surf to everyone else. Basically, that's it. I'm hoping you're here a little bit longer if we're being honest and selfish because um, I really want to come down there. I, I, I am coming to go to Texas. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I, I really want to come down. So now I'm going to have to come find you. Like, all right, let's go have some fun. But uh, that, that's everything you've done today has been great nick thanks so much for this interview and you have shared a ton of knowledge you've given me a bunch of homework especially with uptiding uh, i'm really looking forward to learning about that and learning uh about the hip cast because i've heard a lot of people talk about not being able to cast i look forward to being able to move into that so everything about this has been great thank you so very much is there anything else you'd like to add or before we take off here and uh get our next episode planned and locked in i think i've got a thousand videos on youtube all right, if you want information, go there. Don't get lost in the uh, beach reports, which I do daily so much. You Just go in there, go through it. There's so much information there that can help a new fisherman. So it's youtube.com forward slash Nickaway. I really appreciate if they subscribe and hit that bell. They'll get my daily up- updates on beach conditions, how the National Seashore are going to steal land from us. Everything is all there, all right? And I thank you for the time, and I really enjoyed this interview. All right. Well, we will be talking soon, sir. Thanks again. Uh, My pleasure. Goodbye. Yes, sir. All right, ladies and gentlemen. I hope this has been great for you because it's been amazing for me. I've got a lot of things to learn about, and uh, definitely with Texas fishing, this has became excellent on so many levels of excellent you've been listening to finding demo surf fishing i hope you enjoyed the video that's a new one that's a whole lot of different and in the audio side i hope it was still clear and concise for you we tried so until next time take care of yourselves i'm out of here (laughs) 